1: Racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Tops market. The
0: suburban area everywhere,
2: we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our
0: programs to help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If
2: we're going to have some real healing.
1: We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth.
0: This
2: is Dave Debo. On the program today, we continue to delve into Black history in Buffalo, with a look at Marcus Garvey, his teachings and his connection to our area. Garvey was certainly a controversial black leader. Originally from Jamaica, he came to the United States and gained national prominence. He organized the American Black National Movement around 1919. He was a leader of the Pan-African Movement. And in August 1914, he established the UNIA, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, and African Community League ACL. He was a separatist to a degree and criticized for some dialogue he had with the Klan. He did set himself up as the head of a separate nation of Africans, trying to instill some black racial pride. He established a range of businesses, some of which left their mark in Buffalo that still exist today. And his history in Buffalo is something that, according to our guest today, is purposefully left out of the black history books. The local keeper of Garvey's Flame, the leader of his UNIA and ACL in Buffalo, is Malik Lyon-Blyden. He's with us for the entire program today. A lot to talk about, Lyon. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
2: I want to look at, if we're talking history, I want to start by looking at history. Uh, When I go online and try to find out about my guest, it says you're a descendant of
1: Edward Blyden. Yes, Yes, he. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know about it as much when I was younger. I found out about it a little bit, um, a little bit more when as I got older. Um, his his work in Liberia, the repatriation uh, program, uh, locating black influence throughout religious history, and uh, you know, that's an interesting voice. Um, well, is it safe to say he was a Garveyite?
2: Was he someone who was looking to take America's blacks and repatriate them?
1: Back to Liberia? Okay, there's a couple things with, with the questions you was asking me, right? Yes. <laughs> I would say that he was a Garveyite before Garvey was, right? Garvey himself would have said the same thing and actually has said that in some of his writings. Um, because what uh, Edward Wilmot Blyden was saying was he, he was trying to, like I said, he was locating us in religious history, but he was also finding us around the world and trying to find a way to bring us together. That is the primary focus of what Garvey would have been... Um, what, what Garveyism is about. Um, when you say it's the taking back to Africa, a key point we'll probably get to a little bit later, yeah, when, yeah. when Garvey came to Buffalo, and, and in all of his speeches, one of the key things that he focused on was to make sure people knew that Garveyism was not a back to Africa movement, okay? The, the point of Garveyism was to help create a strong connection and a strong support system so we can assist the people at home and they can help the people abroad, which are us.
2: But it did not necessarily include then the repatriation of slaves Uh, back to Liberia, back to, quote unquote, the homeland?
1: Well, I mean, the the ultimate goal would be, first of all, for a strong homeland, strong motherland, and if we could do anything wherever we are on the globe to help assist Africa be strong, that is the goal. Then, if you are in, are you if you are able to, or if your goal is to go back, you should be able to go back freely, and that's one of the declarations of rights of Negro peoples of the world. And so, it you know, it gets a little caught up because it feels like that's what he was saying the whole time, but it, it was very specific. You know, where, wherever it says Africa for the Africans at home and abroad, and we are currently abroad, we are not at home, meaning it's ours no matter where we are.
2: So, this definitely ties in then to the idea of Black history and I'm not even going to say Black History Month because I'm sure it should be taught year-round, mm-hmm. integrating that into curriculum and in people's lives.
1: Yes, absolutely. With, with, like Without question. Um, one of the reasons it's an issue is because, you know, different nationalities have a uh, conversation about home, uh, the motherland, right? Um, uh, family crests is a big thing. Uh, family heirlooms is a big thing. That is not a norm in black black families and black right. households, right? Because we just don't have that connection to an ancient history, and so what happens is we don't get to sit around the dinner table and talk about ancient or or you know the back in the day. You know what I mean? Like you know, I always think about uh, Sophia Petrillo from um from uh, uh Golden Girls, right? Yeah. When she talks about just picture it, you Sicily, nineteen. You know, <laughs> you know, our grandparents only have, you know great-grandparents or whatever, we have what we had here in America. You know what I'm saying? The memory ties have been uh, disconnected. So the point is to reconnect that so we have a connection to our motherland and, and an understanding so we can have, you know, free everything between us.
2: Does it involve boosting racial pride? Is that the Absolutely. intent? Is that the intent?
1: Um. Not necessarily. Maybe intent. one it, of them, right? Yeah, I mean, what okay. that should be happening. That so we should be doing that. Boosting racial pride is is a different mission mission in itself. That should be happening primary. Uh, we say as Gary writes, we say race first to uh, uh, to purposely put a focus on that. So you'll be you know you'll think of yourself as one. Uh, Garvey's whole goal was to get us as a race to be able to see you know sit with the other races on the world stage. A lot of our people's problem is we don't see ourselves as able to do that. We don't even think it's possible so when we you know uh when we see strives towards that, you know what I'm saying we see a lot of times in our black community we see people holding us back from that because how how dare we even think that we should be able to be at the level of the oppressors that have been you know in in power for so long um and and as a matter of fact, that was his biggest biggest uh, uh adversary, yeah.
2: It's interesting, though, to see someone like you mm-hmm. in the present embracing this so much because I think history books would say just that. Mm-hmm. It's history. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Garvey might have come to Buffalo, might have had a speech or two here. That was it. End of the movement. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. For you and, and a lot of other, you used the phrase
1: earlier, Garveyites, mm-hmm.
2: this is still a living, breathing philosophy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just right now, anywhere you look, if you see the red, black, and green flag, you already know that it's dealing with something dealing with black people already. Yeah, right. And that's just a universal understanding. But why is that? It was a Garvey thing. Yeah, absolutely. It was such a Garvey thing that what is when you, you have in order to explain that, right? If someone has to it begins, if someone begins to explain what the flag is about, you will eventually get to the nation-building plan of Marcus Garvey. And the fact that not only was it a plan, but it was successful, that's why you connotate kind of that flag with black people, because that is our nation. Um, I had a theory that we as a people after the Ma'afa, what we call the Ma'afa is the great tragedy, the transatlantic, transatlantic and the Arab slave trade. Since those events, we as a people are sort of a different race all over the world because we have that disconnect, we have to try and reconnect, and we may never actually get the authentic reconnections. So we have to create a new thing. That's what Gary did, and he created that nation for us to be able to come together and just and build and have that racial pride that you spoke about.
2: And he also created an organization, the UNIA, United Negro Improvement Association. Universal Negro Improvement Association. Yeah, okay, Association.
1: very good. All right. Um, does it still exist? Oh, Absolutely. I'm currently the president of the UNIA ACL division number 433, Montgomery Burroughs division here in Buffalo, and as, as well as all of Western New York. What does it do? First of all, it is a nation. So when we look at George Washington creating, you know, a foundation here for, for him to be a pre- the first president of dot, 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 Marcus Guyver, when he when he created the UNIA, it wasn't just to be a group of people. It wasn't a uh, it's not
2: the Masons. It's not uh, something not. like that. Okay. None of
1: those different things. No. Right. As a matter of fact, if no matter what you are a part of, as a as a black person, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're a part of, you are already a member of this because that's what it was made for. And so, when we talk about nations, you know, people sovereign and and you know, people have individual sovereignty. No matter what, the sovereign right to live, dot dot dot. When you look at uh, how other nations have been created. They created a flag, a national anthem, a pledge of allegiance, a declaration of rights the, of, you know, a declaration of rights and a constitution. Those things have been created in 1920. We had over 20,000 African delegates from over 40 countries in the world come to Madison Square Garden to vote on these things, to create this nation. Now, the nation has had its ups and its well, well downs, but yes, it is very much still alive. We have a president general right now. He, um, our eleventh president general, since Marcus Garvey, and it 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 won't die. It can't die. All right, and you're not going to let it. Not a chance. All right, all right.
2: (laughs) Talk about the local borough. For what would it be known locally? For
1: what it would be known locally is probably me being a little vocal about it. And you know, I do speeches uh, and lectures, trying to just raise awareness. Um, we started off with uh, the African Ancestry Academy and Sankofa Ministries, mm-hmm. with, which were both um, efforts in trying to teach. Uh, this is black history. It, uh, we teach that black history is world history. And we also teach that local black buffalo history uh, was major in, in, as far as black history in the world. People don't realize the things that were started here that are now being carried out, out in the world. We'll get there in, in just a bit, I promise. Yes, we'll go down the list. Okay.
2: Um, but Sankofa Ministries, mm-hmm. the, the, the bit that I've seen about them says the, that, that they were built around the idea that history is our doctrine. Mm-hmm. And yet when I hear the word ministries, I think of a religion. Mm-hmm. Reconcile
1: those two in my brain for me. Absolutely. First of all, we deal with etymology. Again, back to the, uh, you know what I'm saying? the Words et- matter. Yes, they have right. to. So when you look at the word minister, it means to. Just like administer to assist to help, Garvey had a quote where he said, uh, "Religion cuts to the core of the, the most true beliefs of the Negro, or something like that." Basically, religion is the most important thing to black people, right? And it occurred to me, I'm not very religious, right? As a matter of fact, I'm not religious at all. <laughs> so that means, uh, how do I reconcile that? So when I realized that all of the different religions and non-believers still were under that banner, okay? It was now, how can I teach this? I remember Hooked on Phonics and the, and the methods that they went with and there's different things that children remember, different you know, steps that children remember. And the thing that just hit me out of the blue was John 3.16. Now, this may be a little bit convoluted, but this is That's how, okay. this no, how I got uh, to this uh, point. We,
2: we, uh, part of the joy of this program is we, we go into the weeds. Let's so let's, it. Yeah, let's do
1: it. <laughs> okay, so John 3.16 is like the most well-known verse in the right, world. right? And it's just like that with a lot of different verses of the of Scripture, religious Scripture. And it th- I thought if you could teach uh, black history the same way we teach religion, it will be, you know, a true indeed, is a little bit of indoctrination, but that's what we need. People would integrate these beliefs into their life. Right, it'll become as as they automatic. Do with
2: their, okay, as they do with their religion.
1: Something I got from my mother, Elaine Blyden, you know what I'm saying? When you practice something, it becomes second nature, and then it'll just happen. So if, if the children are used to speaking about, let's say, um, one of Marcus Garvey's speeches, look for me in the whirlwind. If I say to them, uh, look for me in the whirlwind, uh, verse 7, sentence 16— Right. Where he says, you know, you know, um, look for me in the whirlwind, uh, you, you know, any different verse you want to show all sure. of the different all right. quotes you could quote. But once you get to that that sentence in that verse and you and you lock it in, you know, that'll be, you know, something that children and adults will be easy, easily be able to easily remember. So there is a canon. <laughs> we have not created the canon. OK. And it's it's funny that you said that, because uh, I, what I did, I did create a pan-African Bible. Um I am technically uh, an ordained minister of the Sankofa Ministries, uh, a secular minister. Basically what uh, the Pan-African Bible is, is we recreated it in the way that the Bible was created. So, Genesis now is dealing with the genesis and origins of black people. Uh, Chronicles is the story, uh, you know, a timeline of, of black people from the beginning of history till now. Uh, Kings and uh, first and second kings now is kings and queens, different kings and queens lists throughout black history. So those different type of things. And then, like I said, if we can ever get to our version of a Council of Nicaea so we can get a canon, (laughs) we get some of these different, uh, you know, major scholars that really know these writings and the different, you know, master teachers, John Henry Clark and uh, Dr. Ben if we can get somebody who really has an con- uh, understanding of their writings and speeches to put it together, oh, it'd be amazing.
2: And to try and do this for a while, although it's not necessarily active now, mm-hmm. you had the African Ancestry Academy. Yes, sir. A study group, basically?
1: Basically a study group. It wasn't um, so. It wasn't as st- uh, strict structurally as Sankofa st. Ministry was, um, but it was basically starting with the children again, teaching them different languages. Um, different ways to uh, create art, uh, music, different, everything expressive. And then, again, all of it in the goal to get the people to remember. You know, we want things to be muscle memory. And it's just, we, you know, had a little bit of trouble getting it to stick. But, like I said, it moved from the every other weekend with those two groups to online meetings and, you know, um, Zoom, Zoom calls. And then the pandemic yeah, hit and everything yeah. was crazy.
2: If you felt it necessary to do that, does that imply a critique of the way black history is taught currently in schools? Or is it a different audience? Were, were your, was your ministry and your Zoom calls and your academy for adults while, while traditional public schools are addressing
1: and trying to address it with, with kids? Well, uh, again, something else I got from my mother um, is a lot of things um, should be taught holistically and to adults and children at the same time this the, the the amount of things that we don't know as adults about black history is it, it the you know is equals, massive in your book yeah yeah and it's the same amount the children don't know so we all need to sit down and learn together and when if children see that we're all learning and interested in learning it together then it, it again it would make it more uh you know for them to hold on to
2: a rhetorical question but i think it helps flesh out the argument and the ideas mm-hmm. Why is it important for anyone, white, black, whomever, to learn or study that history?
1: Well, I mean, the obvious answer, the quick answer is, that, you know, you'd be doomed to repeat history if you don't study it, right? Um, and for black people, that is very serious. We had some serious things in our history that we don't need to repeat, which I am fearful that we have potential to re- be reapproaching. If we are not careful, and if we're not paying attention as a people,
2: don't don't move off. Let's go there. Okay. Um, what do you see on the horizon that you don't want to uh, have happen?
1: Well, we could just jump all the way off the cliff, and I can just go to something very serious and very specific. So, the top shooting just recently. Yeah. The shooter himself was a, I believe, you know, from my research, I believe to be a member of Adam Waffen, the the area where he came from, uh, you know, where he lived. Those areas are where the Klan, the na- uh, right, na- right-wing white nationalists uh, train. Um, Adam Waffen, specifically, the one in Pennsylvania, the Vinland Wolves, um, is another version. Um, and and what you see is these symbols, symbols, and 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 words come out specifically since I'm not sure you know about Charlottesville and the different yeah. events right yeah. but, if, but if you pay attention to the videos you see that they have symbolism right when you tie those symbols back to what they're talking about you know it the, you hear them talking all the time if you go watch right-wing media about a civil war but who are they talking about having a war with they can't be seriously talking about the US military so who are they planning on warring with um something for you and your guests to look up it's something called the Great American Redoubt spelled R E D O U B T not readout, but redoubt right. gotcha okay it is uh, the word is uh, i just realized it's another term for a fort or yeah, a fortress exactly uh, i've been studying it for a while but i didn't think to look up that word but the place is in the midwest and it is where the right-wing white nationalists are creating their own country just it you know as someone who does look at things critically if that gets strong enough and they get the things that they want that would mean black folks would definitely have a potential to move back into slavery if we are not paying attention as a race just to be just as a race to protect ourselves as a race we have the potential to be in trouble
2: all right but um i think there are any number of people in law enforcement on this program just about a week ago we had on District Attorney John Flynn who said the nation needs a zero-tolerance policy, and look, we prosecuted this guy. Yes, he pled guilty, but we prosecuted this guy.
1: Mm.
2: Are you arguing that that's not enough and these groups could still still rise?
1: Oh, first of all, yes. Um, it's definitely not enough. I'm not even sure what that can do to stop the situation. I don't know if you saw the video but that particular situation, there was nothing anyone Parts of it, about that. Yeah. There was nothing was going to do to stop that. So the only thing that you could do to prevent something like that is it shouldn't be comfortable enough for someone to come be able to do that. When someone can look at your area and say that they are coming to do harm to your race, because they've done reconnaissance and they realize that it's just a soft target, it shouldn't be comfortable enough for that to have occurred. All right. Um there's, you know, all, all types of things happen. Like you see people looting and doing all kinds of nonsense. You don't see that happening in certain areas of the city. Let me just say that. There's reasons for that. Um, I'm not sure how far you want to go off the cliff. but Let's let's, <laughs> let's jump. Let's okay. jump. Let's do it then. The reason it, things are important is so they don't get forgotten. You see how in Texas they whitewashed the books and said that the slaves were immigrant yeah, right, workers. right. So they good.
2: were not taken of their; uh, they were they, they came of their own accord. Oh
1: yeah, and made an agreement right. to work right?
2: right, and and we just know, indentured servants
1: right. And you see yeah. that was in a book already. Here in Buffalo, we don't really have a black area, black community. That seems right. I know it sounds weird, but if you look around, you definitely see. Let's say the Irish, right, South Buffalo, right. You see they named it mm. all the different ancient uh, Celtic right. names, right. right. Clearly, everybody knows where Little Italy is in Buffalo, right? Hurdle. Yeah. Right? Right. Things get a little trickier, but I'm not sure if you've ever seen in the uh, Grosvenor, Grosvenor Room, they have the map of how the city used to be broken up by race, and it's almost still the same yeah. way.
2: Yeah. The Grosvenor Room is part of the Buffalo Erie County Public Library. The the predecessor library was
1: the Grosvenor Library. Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, that's that's where it got its name.
1: Huh. Well, if, so, well, that's There I'm, we go. Let's learn something every day, people. Let's go WBFO. <laughs> shout out. Um, boom, so back out onto the actual streets where they are still racially divided specifically today, um, it would be good to name an area a thing and to, to lock it in as as this, right? And you don't really see that area that at effort.
2: Are, are you arguing? let me let me try to jump to the chase. Hmm. South Buffalo is is predominantly identified as Irish. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, the hurdle, little Italy. Mm-hmm. the black community. Oh, it's just the the amorphous East side. Yes, sir. So there's no connection to nationality or heritage in the designation there,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like there is elsewhere,
1: right. And if you allow if you continue to allow that type of thing because that's not the only area where that type of non-labeling happens, you get forgotten,
2: all right. but I, I think part of it might be explainable by the fact that, Germans came from a specific nation, Germany. Mm -hmm. The Irish came from a specific nation, Ireland. Mm -hmm. The Italians, a specific nation, Italy. Mm -hmm. The Africans from, could be Zaire, could be the Sudan, could be Egypt, and so on. Right. So it's hard to have a unifying culture when the people are just put in a big bucket and said, you're black, you're not necessarily Ethiopian, you're not necessarily Sudanese, you're Mm -hmm. not necessarily Nigerian. You're just black.
1: Right. Now, now, the solution to that is what Marcus Garvey came to do. Because, yeah, okay, we are in this bucket. There is no changing the fact that there's a bucket and we're in it, right? So now let it, let us embrace this. Let's figure out how to make this our own thing and move forward.
2: And and how is that done? Because there isn't an automatic affinity group. Because there are different national origins.
1: Well, because you have multiple nations in the on the continent of Africa, that's true. However, once we're in the situation, like I said, after the Maafa, once we're in a situation where we don't, we may not find out where that origin original thing is. We are now all in the same boat, whether we was put there, you know, or not, whether we just forgot it or we were put through what we were put through, and that's where we are right now. So, what are we gonna do? Just do nothing? And yes, that's what we've been doing—nothing. What what bothers me with that is. You know, when something racial happens, now it's racist. But you—you you didn't see the clamor for race unity beforehand. Yeah. When when Garvey said, "Let's unify to protect against things that happen to our race," there was no pushback against that. But when something that happens to our race, now there's this clamor. My problem becomes with my own folks. Like, where did that come from? Because it's performative at a certain level. You said we're jumping all the way off the cliff, right? Let's, Let's do jump it. off. It's performative at a certain level. If you are not Black 365, remember we were talking about whether or not you're going to celebrate Black history 365, right? But if you're not being Black 365, yeah. how are you mad about the negative thing, the racist thing that happened? It, it doesn't fit, right? What we have to do as a people is have that race pride all year long publicly loudly verbally i'm not sure were you let me just say this one last all thing. right yeah were you there after the tragedy at tops yes you see how many people were out there do you see the amount of love that was being shown yeah uh-huh. imagine if that was the norm but see it becomes performative at a point because if it can dissipate just because there's no more free gifts given being given out was it real in the first place and and you know i get like i said we I'm used to jumping off cliffs, so that's fine. I get this I get pushed back on these things a lot because I do say things straight out i I can't if I'm seeing these things, the enemies of our race are definitely seeing these things, and then it will happen again
2: all right now the, before we uh, take a break, the other thing I want to touch on is you talked about the the lack of community, the lack of sort of a a national heritage. Mm-hmm. Is that where it loops back to Garvey because you said the
1: UNIA is a nation? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you see the things that that nation inspired, I tell you what, after the break, I'll show you uh, there are certain things that should have been talked about throughout Buffalo's black history. All right. That will blow certain people's minds.
2: Let's go there because we also I wanted to get back to the idea of what is and isn't taught in schools. We'll do all of that in just a moment. Malik Lyon-Blyden is with us. You are, tell me again, the title. President. President.
1: Of? UNIA ACL Montgomery Burroughs Division Number 433. The UNIA ACL, basically the, the
2: Marcus Garvey Pan-African movement, the nation. We'll talk more about it when we return. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO.
0: Not sure what you
2: want to watch tonight? We've got you covered. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to see what's on WNED PBS, WNED Create, and WNED PBS Kids. Click the primetime button to see what's on tonight. You can also search for your favorite programs in the search bar, or look for programs by date and time. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule and start making your viewing plans now.
0: Watch the WNED PBS original production, Garden Wisdom for Western New York and Southern Ontario. Learn the secrets to planning, cultivating, and nurturing your own extraordinary garden using time-proven solutions and sustainable methods. Garden Wisdom, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Get all the trusted local news you need Write to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit wbfo.org to sign up today. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the talk to us button on the WBFO app and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station.
2: This is Dave Debo. We are talking a little bit about Marcus Garvey, his history in Buffalo. We're going to get to that. We're also going to talk on how uh, some of the black American history is taught in the area schools. Malik Lyon-Blyden is with us, and you can find out a lot more about him and indeed the Garveyism uh, movement in Buffalo by going online. I I did this and found it fascinating. You have a YouTube video that kind of spotlights some of the Garvey history here in Buffalo. Talk a little bit about Garvey's presence in Buffalo and what references to that are still around.
1: First of all, the YouTube channel is uh, 433 TV. Tags would be like uh, Buffalo Garveyites, uh, Buffalo UNIA, Marcus Garvey, things like that. The video primarily highlights uh, the different locations around the city that some some are still uh, standing, some are not. But what was happening in the 1920s dealing with the black nationalist movement, dealing with Marcus Garvey here in Buffalo and and what did it inspire moving forward? Um the first thing that I always bring up, it's not necessarily the first thing on the tour, but the first thing I always bring up is the f- two of the first black doctors in Buffalo, New York were Garveyites, all right? Um, Dr. Theodore Kakaza and Dr. Ezekiel Nelson. When just that alone, the fact, have you, how many times have you heard people talk about the first black doctors in Buffalo? It almost never happens. you are the only one, yeah. Right. Now, the problem with that is, if we are going to teach black history, we have to teach it honestly and correctly. And I believe a lot of people have been leaving out the Garveyites of Buffalo on purpose. On purpose. On purpose, because if you talk about them, you have to talk about what, meaning, what Garveyite means. And if you talk about what a Garveyite means to a young child who is looking at the world and seeing themselves not connected to anything, it's going to inspire them to connect. And unfortunately, a lot of our elders have have been influenced by uh, the Guy Must Go movement. That's a different thing. So we can keep going on the positive things first for a second. But again, yes. So the first black doctors, two of the first black doctors in Buffalo, right? Um, Dr. Kakaza had uh, the Women and Children's Clinic. So now today we have Children's Hospital. Yeah. Right. Back in 1920, we had the Women and Children's Clinic, all right, run by a black doctor who was a Garveyite, and black nurses who were Black Cross nurses of the UNIA ACL. So many times we talk about the fact that...
2: That was like a, a core of nurses, just sort of yes, a volunteer
1: group, basically? That that certified, them, uh, studied, taught, and certified themselves, okay, within the UNIA structure.
2: The Black Cross?
1: Black Cross nurses, yes, Started sir. Started
2: because at the time, we're talking 20s, give or take?
1: As a matter of fact, we're talking 1919. Okay. Spanish flu. When the Spanish flu hit, the Red Cross doesn't hire black nurses at the time, OK, because they said we didn't have enough beds in our schools to be a qualified nurse. Mm. Right? Whatever. Right. <laughs> so,
2: if this was TV, you'd see him shaking his head.
1: Exactly. I'm sorry. I'm making a face. So <laughs> the Black Cross, what they did was they, they unified and started treating themselves you know, and, and treating the community. And this happened all across the country. It's not just here in Buffalo. Yeah, But there was a chapter here. Yes. What they would do is uh, just in general, before the Spanish flu hit, they were already treating uh, people in their homes, you know, delivering babies, um, hand washing techniques, all types of different, you know, midwife, all, any type of things you need. When the Spanish flu hit, because we were so close knit as a community, because we were so we had to be when it was, a you know, the tragedy hit, we were right there already in service. And so they created masks, uh, cloth masks. Not only did they create the cloth masks and, and sanitation, sanitizing things here for Buffalo, they shipped them to Canada and to over in Africa as well. And that's Buffalo. The Buffalo Black Cross did that. This is an amazing story that should have been talked about a million times over.
2: I've never heard it before. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because if we talk about the fact that there was a Black Cross nurse here in Buffalo, we had to talk about how many there were. We had at least 30 Black Cross nurses that were in their own school and graduated and certified themselves. Right. They were all working within at least one um, doctor's office that I just told you about the second one. They were working there as well. OK. And they were working all throughout the community. If we start talking about that, we don't talk about then the first black woman who made it into the Red Cross.
2: Yeah.
1: And, it's you know, we it, it, you know, as positive as that is, it's mu- it would be much more inspiring to to know that we could have created our own system. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the goal of our of our black history teachers. Like I said, we're jumping all the way off the cliff today.
2: Do you think there is a, a faulty premise in the way and how black history is taught? <laughs>
1: well, it depends on who's teaching it. In in basic public schools, we'll say that. Well, public that's tricky in itself because, honestly, public schools may not even know the thing to teach them. If, even if they were on 100% being honest— they don't necessarily have all of the tools to teach everything, right? Because it, it should take black historians, like you said, uh, my mother Elaine Blyden used to assist with whatever, you know, it takes black historians to come in and teach certain things. And if we are purposely not talking about a specific group of people, it's going to get for literally forget. Can you imagine these people literally put their lives on the line to serve the people as as purely as you possibly can and it's it's purposely being forgotten, and, and it's it's despicable. So, yes, there's definitely a—I don't know what where the flaw would actually be. I would always take it on ourselves and say that we should be teaching these things in home first. And then when a child goes to school, they'll be able to put together the pieces.
2: I, I want to jump back to the way you, you framed it in the first segment, that there are some parallels here to religion. And the accepted canon of the Bible was sort of kind of created by the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. at a time when they said, "Okay, there are certain practices we want to recognize and celebrate and other practices that we don't want in there. Is that what happened in the teaching of black history? And was was Garveyism discarded as apocryphal or even heretical?
1: Okay, it's interesting you put it that way. Yes, I would say absolutely yes. Um, And... (sighs) Here in Buffalo, the NAACP's origin is om- is here in yeah, Buffalo. The
2: Niagara Movement, W.E.B. Du Bois, right, here in Buffalo.
1: So, you see how you know that story. So, why is that story though? Why was W.E.B. Du Bois here in the first place? It wasn't just to meet with them in Niagara Falls. He was here to meet with uh, Mary Talbert. How did they get close? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. So, at the time, Marcus Garvey and, and WB e. Dubois had a huge uh, feud. But before that, Booker T. Washington and WEB Dubois had a huge feud, okay And it went on so seriously that they each had spies spying on each other to see where they would be at so they can hear the, the message and deal with it accordingly. At the time, uh, uh, WB e. Dubois was supposed to be meeting slowly meeting here. So, so Booker T. Washington's sources thought, but the meeting took place in Niagara Falls. So that's where that first connection with him and the Niagara movement came about. But just, just, just the fact that he was <laughs> there's so much stuff here. There's, there's letters. <laughs> and, anybody and you get wants, excited about it? Yes, I really do because there's so much, and I know we don't have that much time. So if anybody wants to look into these type of things, W. B. Du Bois' letters, correspondences are all online. Uh, He and Mary Talbert wrote back and forth a lot. And sadly, Mary Talbert um, was the largest enemy of Marcus Garvey here in Buffalo. Dubois called her the most famous black woman in America. So now if you can imagine, the most famous black woman in America is an opponent of Garvey here in Buffalo. You know, he's hands off now as far as the canon and him being a heretic. So much so that the pastors and ministers in the newspapers were starting to put out anti-Garvey rhetoric. So if they talk about Garvey in the same sentence, they have to talk about the relationship between those pastors and Marcus Garvey. Because, I mean, you see how people have uh, Twitter fights and things like that. It was exactly like that in the newspapers in the 20s. So, yes, he was definitely deemed a heretic. Uh, and we just got finished uh, having the same issue recently. Our current UNIA are just told that we shouldn't be able to name a streak Marcus Garvey because he was too radical. Now... I was told that by one of the elders of the community. Here in Buffalo. Here in Buffalo. All right. And so when I hear that from the elder, if, you know, if you're telling me somebody who's trying to unify our people is too radical, you know what the mindset of our folks are. That's a problem.
2: Let, let's jump back. What was the biggest philosophical difference between Marcus Garvey and William E.B. Dubois?
1: Creation versus assimilation. Our own versus hoping to get from someone else. Booker T. Washington, before we even get to Garvey, his goal uh, was to create Tuskegee Institute. Right. People know about that part. They don't necessarily know that he had his students build that school, and he also had them create the bricks to build that school. Now, if you imagine the commitment that you have to a place, if you not only put it together, but you actually built the pieces to make it, you, know, you have a different type of commitment. Your teacher has a different type of commitment to you to even think of you, to you have to do that. Marcus Garvey reads the book Up From Slavery and is inspired by that and says, "Yo, I need to go meet him." So he came up to meet Booker T Washington to create a Tuskegee Institute in Jamaica. W.E.B. Du Bois' goal was integration and assimilation. Now, Garvey never said that we could not work together with other races. As a matter of fact, something that people have no idea about is that on the Black Star line, the boats, he had multiple white people working for him. It's, there, was no, there was no issue there. A couple of the pictures that you see of Marcus Garvey, he has several white men around him. Those not, are not arresting officers, as people say. Those are, Some of those are his lawyers. <laughs> okay, so... Right.
2: So he, he wasn't against cooperation, mm-mm. but he was against assimilation.
1: Yes, and obviously begging... It's like, what are you doing? You don't need to do that. He, he he told black men to, you know, stand up with your head high, chest out. You don't need to beg them for anything. Like, for, why? Like, even if you don't have the thing and they have it, it's like we we don't need it right now. Unless if we can make it ourselves, then let's make it and and try that. A lot of times, our folks, we really don't want to do that. We would love for someone to just give us a thing. You know, when he came to Buffalo, one of his speeches, he said, you know, you race of cowards, you race of imbeciles. If you can't do what other men and other races have done, you might as well just die. And he was right. I mean, if we can't do it, literally, what good are you if you can't do what the rest of the people on the planet are doing?
2: How much of it was politics of the day? Because you spoke with the two doctors earlier. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, Dr. Ezekiel Nelson was involved in a lot of the early cooperatives. Mm -hmm. Another word that sometimes people associate with cooperatives, you know where I'm going, socialism. The the evil of socialism. Mm -hmm. How, How much of this dispute was because of the conflict between one political
1: idea and another? You mean between Dubois and Garvey? Yeah. It wasn't. The issue the, the issue wasn't so much political because the politics of Garvey was we should have our own nation. That's that's and everybody was against that. So it wasn't that wasn't like a mm-hmm. main focus. Nobody wanted to see like right now, currently, if black people in America just had their own political party, which was part of his plan. As a matter of fact, he actually started three political parties. People had no idea about that. The fact that we it was he was focused on race was antithetical to what Dubois and then you know, what his plan was, because his plan was
2: race shouldn't matter. We should be colorblind. We should be equal. We should just be mixed together.
1: And I don't even think it was that simple. I think that's the way it came out. But in reality, I think it was we do not have a place at the head of any table. W.B. Dubois was never the head of the n w a c p Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Most people have no idea of that. He was like seventh on the hierarchy. Yeah. Everybody, and even the people he brought in, Mary White Ovington, was over him. People always quote and say that Ida B. Wells was a, one of the founding members of the NAACP. She left right after the founding because Dubois brought in other people. other people, specifically Mary White Ovington, who was obviously racist in a way because she didn't want someone who's speaking about race. Same thing right now is happening with DeSantis. And him. So when you say how timeless is it, it's the same thing happening today. Literally this moment, they're down there, they're people burning books, right? They, they're trying to cancel anybody that's writing anything about black history, or black culture, because for the same reason, if we talk about black history, if we get ch- black children to be inspired by their nationality, have racial pride, that is a problem. It, will, it, it most likely will cause a problem for the, for the powers that be. It will generate a, a nation of thinkers. Right now, sad to say, my folks aren't focusing on the right thing. If we begin to focus on the right things, listen, when black people get better, the world will get better. That's, I'm, I promise you.
2: I have heard a lot of people, uh, social activists on the East Side, say that it's not necessarily a battle over race. It's a battle over rich and poor. A yeah. battle over resources, a battle over equality.
1: That's straddling the fence. They're not being serious, all right. When 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 that guy came in here at to Tops, he, he wasn't was, shooting to, poor people. He, he was shooting blacks. He, exactly. As a matter of fact, he told you he researched where the black people were. So to, that's like I said. That's to me. That's performative. You're playing with my race, and I don't like that. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why a lot of folks have a problem with me because they want to play with my race. That's their goal. Because if you, if you can make yourself the, the focus, right, you want people to call, call you to come speak and you want to be able to have a book deal and you want to be able to come sing here and st- right? None of that is important. What's important is are the babies inspired to build a nation? If no, then we have all failed. Literally, we have all failed. So to be like, oh, it's, it's about the wealthy versus the poor, You'll never be wealthy at this rate. You're not going to unify the masses of the poor.
2: I I think the argument, as it was expressed to me, was that there will be more participation in the movement. There will be more sympathy for uh, some of these ideals if we cast it more as poor and rich. If we're fighting for the people who don't have resources, mm. that rising tide will lift all
1: boats. The desire to gain sympathy is the wrong move. That Why is that even a focus? Moral suasion is the term, okay? Mm. That's a definition where you want to convince someone that they are being immoral. Our president general said, you cannot convince an immoral person to be moral. My mother had multiple sayings like that. <laughs> It just don't happen. If if you're an immoral person, you are an immoral person. The cops that put their knee on Eric Garner's neck, he's an immoral person. So, no. <laughs> uh, we
2: we have another break coming up. Before we uh, go there, I want to ask you to what degree, we, we've, we've been using a lot of religious references, uh, to what degree are you the voice in the wilderness? Are
1: you alone? It feels like it. It definitely feels like it. Um. We had a, a pretty large group in the beginning of of our division. Uh, we are not a large group now. I'm not sure how many folks can can recite the things that I'm telling you. And our the folks our folks aside, you know the desire to. I mean, come on! I don't understand why you don't want to know about the first black doctors in Buffalo. How is it, how is that not you know? It, for me, I was interested. Because I was a Garveyite, all right? That's why, how I found this. Yeah. But for people that purport to be black historians and, and interested in black history, you had to find some of You had to bump into this in your research. And to just not bring it up is just disingenuous. And so, yes, it does feel like I'm alone in that.
2: It gives me the perfect segue. When we come back, we'll talk about the things that we don't know. Uh, you, you mentioned the Black Cross earlier. But there was also a movement, and, and we can run down the list, A lot of them are in your YouTube video. There's a lot of things that haven't been included in the history that I think we need to talk about that. So we'll we'll do that when we return. Malik Lyon Blyden is with us from the UNIA. He is an unabashed Garveyite, and we'll have more with him after this on Buffalo What's Next.
1: Check out the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel.
0: Ellicottville is a town of variety, not only in what they have to offer, but the people. The Burlington community is uh, becoming increasingly multicultural and the library is reflecting that. Parks and playgrounds have been what makes the town of Tonawanda a great place to grow up.
1: The series began in 2003, but it's making its debut on YouTube now. Although some of the businesses and people may have changed over the years, the spirit of these wonderful towns remain the same.
2: We just didn't realize what we had in our own backyard.
1: We need the next
2: generation to protect it
1: and carry on. Learn about Jamestown, Burlington, Welland, East Aurora, and more than a dozen other beautiful communities in our region by watching the Our Town series now on YouTube. I, w- I would live there. <laughs>
0: Buffalo is home to many historical treasures, including architectural gems. Central Terminal affected everybody. Everybody from the common man to the movie star walked this concourse. Beloved community establishments. They might get a glimpse to see Lena Horne. Uh, They might uh, see Dizzy or Miles Davis, uh, you know, Charlie Parker. And homes for local sports teams. When we talk about an institution, Memorial Auditorium was an institution. The WNED-PBS original production, Remembering Western New York, Explore some of these iconic structures and their connection to people who live in the region.
2: There was a time when Buffalo's Main Street was the focus of holiday shopping in Western
0: New York. Watch Remembering Western New York now on YouTube. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. This is Dave Debo. Lion Blyden is with us. We are talking
2: a lot about black history, about ignored history. He is a Garveyite. He is with the UNIA. And uh, there are a lot of things that he's bringing to the fore that aren't necessarily part of the regular curriculum. Talk to me about the amount of cooperative economics that there were in Buffalo, uh, springing from the Garvey movement of what, 1920 ish, right? Yeah.
1: The Citizens Cooperative Society came first, um, and that was in the 20s, right? Uh, the Buffalo Cooperative Economic Society came in the 30s. The big thing about those things is specifically to the, the last point that we uh, ended on as far as the rich versus the poor. Yeah. Okay. Well, if, if, if that is the case, you have a perfect example here of how you can fix that. The Buffalo Cooperative Economic Society was the foundation of many of the black businesses that people love as far as looking back in the history. When you look at the, um, Jefferson Avenue, those stores that were um, so prominent back in what I would say like maybe the 50s, 60s. Grew from cooperatives? Grew from the Buffalo Cooperative Economic Society specifically. Wow. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, then there was the, I believe it was called the Black Development Foundation Foundation. Uh, my grandfather was a part of that, uh, William Clark, which furthered that movement. But my, you know, my issue is that it, you know they did not bring the history along with them. They did not t- tell you know how we got to this point. And you see, if you do not have that foundation, it'll fall. And that's why you see Jefferson still trying to rebuild.
2: Part of the reason I raise it, though, is there is to some degree a lot of voices today saying we don't need to bring in another tops. We need community ownership of something else. There's the African Heritage Food Co-op. There's the idea that we need more communal planning. People of the east side charting their own destiny for the east side. Um, Do you see a resurgence? Is, Is there more sense of the need for community ownership now, the cooperative kind of thing that you're talking about existed back then?
1: I heard a conversation. There's a lot of discussion about it, right? And again, we can say that there's some action. I'm not going to go all the way and say it's all performative, but we see some action. However, it can't be a community effort if there's no foundational community. If our community only comes together at Juneteenth and Kwanzaa, then, you know, it's not a real community. Um true, we have pockets around our city where they group together, you know, um, different—I don't want to call them cliques, but, you know, different groups that come together within, within themselves. But we don't have a massive movement here in Buffalo where it's like, yo, this is what happened. Every year, you know, on, online, you see people, hey, man, where do I get quantity candles from? Or I need a uh, drummer for—like, you almost should know. Buffalo ain't that big. You should know, <laughs> right? And it should be a regular thing that's known. But because we only think about it once a year, right? And so, it, you know, at, at some level, it's like, you know, what, what, where is our commitment to our people year round? So yes, you're right. Uh, as far as the need for communal things and community um, community-owned things, that's definitely true. But in the, even in that phrase, the community comes first. And in order to have that community, there has to be a foundation of uh, the, uh, the unity, right? And you can't, you cannot – there's no room for fence riding. Like you said earlier, oh, it's not about race. How can we say these things that we see that happen to us say that it's not about race? You, know, you, you just cannot do that and be honest.
2: I wish we had another hour. This topic is massive. I think the way maybe to um – wrap it all up is is a question that I've used on other programs. I see the frustration. There are a couple of times where in this conversation, you just kind of put your head down and you'd sigh. Are you an optimist at all?
1: I almost hoped you didn't ask me that. I don't know anymore, honestly. Um, I don't know. I, you know, when I first started uh, specifically being a president of UNIA, let's say that, you know, I was gung-ho, you know, full steam ahead. I expected I'm going to be specific. That first Juneteenth, I told uh, the guy, Ron, I told him, I was like, listen, man, we're going to have 500 people marching with us. Because I, I knew people were going to buy into this and be like unification. This year, this February is our eighth year anniversary. And like you said, you see my face. So, and we're still talking about performative black power. We're still talking about, you know, marches. Dr. John Henry Clark once said that marches were a tool that was useful once, but at this point, and he said this in 1980-something, at this point, it's just a waste of good shoe leather.
2: All right. How do people learn more? How do they reach you,
1: or where do they find out more? They can call you, sir. No. <laughs> Anybody, uh, most and I'll of people, share
2: your cell number. <laughs> yeah, hey,
1: holla at me, call me. Uh, most of the people in the community knows how to reach me. Uh, you can catch me on uh, social media, uh, Lion Blyden, uh, Lion Akindele Blyden. Uh, YouTube, we are 433TV, uh, and um, lionblyden at gmail.com.
2: All right. I, I, again, I wish we had another hour. This was great. Good conversation. Thank you for coming by. Anytime. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening.